Welcome to episode 155 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Sacramento trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players by going to sycamore.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Marine Corps veteran Dennis Miller, a veteran advocate and entrepreneur in the greater Philadelphia area. Dennis and I are going to be having a conversation about the 6th-888th Central Postal Directory Battalion, a multi-ethnic unit of predominantly black women who were assigned to England and France to clear several years of backlogged mail in the European theater of operation. Dennis and I are going to talk about their efforts and his personal connection to a member of the unit. You can find out more about Dennis by checking out his bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Dennis, so glad to be able to have you on the show to talk about the accomplishments of the 6888 Central Postal Directory Battalion. But before we get into that, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to share a bit about yourself and what you're passionate about. Uh, well, first, Dwayne, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come here and speak about one of the most impactful issues in my life, taking me to places I have only dreamed of. So thanks for having me for that today. My name is Dennis Miller, and I am Marine Corps Infantry. I spend most of my time trying to figure out how to help veterans get to the spaces they want to, need to, have to, in order to succeed out here in the civilian world that's really hard to transition to. Like everybody else, I've got a full-time day job, but I do my best to try to intersect that day job with working with veterans and making sure that we all are represented in the spaces that we would like to be in the ways that we would like to be in the capacity that we need. You were a non-commissioned officer in the Marine Corps and this passion for helping veterans transition we all experience ourselves at some point we leave the military and then we get into post-military life. Is, was that really a catalyst for what's helping you support veterans in all the different work you're doing? Most definitely. My own transition was, and still is, a bear. And I've been retired since 2009. But it's a bear to try to figure out how to be somebody other than Sergeant Miller when I spend so much time as that guy. But I also saw... Many of the friends that I was in the service with and people who I intersected with, but more importantly than that, before I even joined the military, my family, all of my uncles, all of my brothers were service members. And just so you know, I'm the only Marine, so I sit at the head of the table at Thanksgiving. But I watched them try to transition back into the civilian world, and it's just more difficult than you give it credit for. So... Having watched all of those folks try to make that transition and then doing it myself showed me that I needed to try to be helpful 
wherever I could and, and give whatever experience and whatever I had to try to be helpful with it. And I think in, in one of the things that I've appreciated about your work, and as you mentioned, we have the day job and, and there's a lot of space in, in our time. And you do a lot of work there in Philadelphia, connecting business owners, veteran business owners, ensuring economic development, ensuring that veterans and individuals, as you were talking about, intersectionally have the supports that they need. That's really been a big focus for you. It really has. I am an entrepreneur myself, so I got really very interested in trying to help veteran entrepreneurs figure out how to get back to that World War II era numbers where maybe about 50, almost 50% of veterans who came home from that little conflict started or owned or operated their own small business. Those numbers have been dwindling over time and it didn't make sense to me. That was just the way it was gonna be. So I tried to figure out a effective way to help with that and hopefully some of the stuff we're doing is a drop in the bucket to bring us back to some of those good numbers. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, listeners of the show have heard it. One grandfather came back from World War II, became a mechanic, opened up his own shop. Another grandfather became a tailor, built his family on working in that industry. And, and I think that really is uh, pretty significant and important. But one of the reasons we wanted to connect with you today was very specifically about, again, going back to World War II, a really historical unit, the story of the 6888. Much more well-known now as a result of the 2019 documentary and the upcoming film, I, I think, that is being done by Tyler Perry. But many listeners may not know the story, the importance of what was done, and what adversity the battalion had to face while serving in a combat theater. What can you tell us about the 6888? First, I can tell you, you're a true professional, Blank, and you were able to tie together the last couple of things we've both been talking about really well there, and I, I, I like how you did that. And I'm also going to circle back some because my grandmother who I'm going to talk about here with an entrepreneur as well. All of those things are interconnected. But the 6888 is a battalion that should be spoken of in the same reverent tones as the Tuskegee Airmen, the Michael Point Marines, Navajo Code Talkers. All of those units went to the combat zone and did work that was extraordinary. And the reason why they were given the Congressional Gold Medal, all of those units were given the Congressional Gold Medal was because of the work they did. And the 6888 is one of those organizations. In World War II, there was a shortage of mail at the front lines. And you're a service member, and just like any service member knows, mail is king. And if you aren't getting mail, something's wrong at home, there's problems, we got to figure this out. So what was happening was that the mail was coming over to the uh, combat zone and getting stuck in warehouses, not making its way from being dropped off out to the soldiers and sailors and Marines that were out there fighting. The Army threw a lot of money at it, a lot of manpower, but they weren't able to fix the problem of the backlog of mail. The Women's Army Corps was just really standing up during 1944, 45. And what they did was they took one of the units and created a, a central, central coastal battalion and sent them over to England. Now, the central coastal battalion was filled with African-American women. There were maybe one Hispanic young lady. There were really just brown people in this unit. They were sent over to England in order to try to deal with this backlog. 
And in real time, the army did not think that they were going to be able to deal with the problem. They had already tried a number of times to fix or deal with or make the problem go away, but they just weren't able. So they sent this unit of women over to England to uh, deal with the backlog of, I think it was about a year's worth of mail. And they gave them a time limit of six months to deal with it to get it unblocked. And so AAA did it in three. They ran 24-hour, around-the-clock functions in order to try to get this mail out. Eight hours, my grandmother would be on duty, working. She'd have eight hours off, eight hours of sleep, and every day they were working like mad to get this mail out. And one of the problems you face in situations like those is that I'm Dennis and I send the mail over to Joe in France. I might not know Joe is Sergeant Joe Miller of this battalion, this unit, this FPO. I don't know all of that stuff. I just write Soldier Joe to send it off. And then when that gets to Germany or France or wherever, and it gets to the postmaster's office, he looks at it and says, you know what, Joe, you're not getting his mail. Throw it over to the side. But the women of the Civil Triple Eight did not do that. They searched down and tried to figure out some context clue, opened the mail up and looked at it and see where the person was talking about Alabama now did detective research to try to get this information to get the mail out. So it was just remarkable what they did. So then this was in England when they sent them to begin with. So when they did the job in England, and got all the mail on on track. The army was like, hell, let's see if you can do it again. And I sent them from England to France. France had just a large backlog. And again, the time frame that they gave them to unstick backlog, they tried to do it there. And the same thing happened. It took them about half of the time that they gave them to do it. So one of the mottos of the Triple A is no male, no morale. And the 6888 has been credited with saving the morale of the day-to-day service member in World War II by ensuring that their male would be. And you might not think as a civilian or anyone that getting a piece of mail is a really important piece of what your life is. But what happens if your soldier Joe and when you went into the service, your mother was sick, or your wife was pregnant, or something you left at home unsettled or unresolved, and you got to Germany and you're fighting the enemy. You're trying to locate calls to destroy the enemy, but your mind is at home, and you're thinking about what might have happened, and then for two months, six months, eight months, you get no mail. You don't find out. You don't know. How are you going to do your job effectively? So... Six Triple Eight was really instrumental in making sure that situation resolved itself. And I am, um, I don't think proud is a good enough of a term to describe how I feel about the fact that my grandmother, whose name was Sylvia Benton, but it was Sylvia, Private Sylvia Armstrong while she was enlisted. She was a member of the Six Triple Eight. She served in both England and France. And she did her job to the level that the rest of the women around her were doing their job. And created a legacy for me that I am trying until the day to follow. You know, I think what fascinates me about the 6888, and people think about this, and here we are in 2023, this wasn't, we're not talking about 
1700, like this is less than a hundred years ago. And these were service members, women's army corps, wax, that were serving at a time where being a woman in the military was not openly accepted or even possible. And this was pre-integration that, that happened later, right? So this is actually, and you had mentioned before about units like the Tuskegee Airmen or the Japanese Nisei Battalion, the Borg Queeners, but this is a unique, and again, going back to that conversation about intersectionality, these were African-American women, which caused even more challenges for them as they were trying to really not just overcome this, this significant problem, but also a, a lot of the prejudice that, that honestly was there at the time. Imagine being a black woman in uniform in 1945 in the combat zone and just waking up every day as that human being, mm -hmm. having to just walk through the world being that person and then do the job, whatever job you had to do in that condition. These women didn't pay attention to any of those first five things I said to you. They weren't concerned about being whatever they were concerned about the work that they had to do. And I think that's a differentiating feature that I like to point out so much that yes, you are correct. It is remarkable that them facing uh, prejudice and sexism and all of the isms that were there is something to be spoken to and taken heavily. But these women showed up and were worried about working. They had no time to worry about how you felt about them being there. They had a job to do and they made that happen to a degree that the folks without those barriers and boundaries couldn't do. People who woke up every day without having to be a black woman in Germany didn't have that. They still couldn't get the work done and these women did. So I, I try to really make a point to, to tell folks that yes, <laughs> this is an important thing of anything, the, the fact that they had, that were in the condition that they were. But the way that they work is really the reason. They don't give the congressional gold medal of people for being, being black or being a woman or being short. <laughs> they give it to you for the work. And you've mentioned a, a couple of times your grandmother uh, was a member of the 6888. I'm curious what that connection, what that legacy is for you. Obviously, many people are, like I'd mentioned, becoming more recently aware of the 6888. Was this a story that you had known for a while? I had no idea. Had no clue. Now, when she was, you know, she was proud of her service in the military. She went to our Women's Army Corps meetings and when the American Legion parades and stuff would happen, she would put a gear on and go out. She was, you know, really proud. And she never really had a heavy conversation until I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> and then when I came home, she and I would talk pretty regularly about what she did, where she was, how she you know, had to figure out how to fit in an environment that she wasn't accustomed to because she was from Savannah, Georgia, and some of these women were from places that weren't Savannah. We talked pretty much about it. But even then, she wasn't really too, she wasn't a braggadocious type of person. She didn't talk about herself as heavily as she probably should have. So I didn't know the entirety of the story until I met a young lady named Colonel Edna Cummings. And she was advocating for the 6 to get the Congressional Gold Medal 
And she's a person who I see as a, a mentor. And she really was able to help me to discover more and more about what my grandmother and her Italians did and how they did it. I think that's the, you mentioned your grandmother's example, perhaps the example of the women of the 6888, what that's done for you as far as personal legacy. But also there's an importance of capturing this information for organizational legacy, for really cultural legacy for our country to be able to say that these things were happening, even though you didn't know about them, they occurred. It was real. Nobody made it up. And it's important for people to know about it. It really is. And it's important for people to understand that their role models can come from any direction. I've been trying for my whole life to grow up to be like my grandma. She was phenomenal. And from the time I was little, I can remember looking at her and having a little hero worship because she carried herself in a way that was powerful and chopped through like she was the, the bow of the ship, just chopping through the waves. So I saw that as a little guy and I was like, wow, that is something I want to be. So my whole life, I watched her work and saw her poise and her determination and the way that she carried herself. And it really only has struck me recently in the past 15, 20 years that many young men are taught not to have women as role models, are taught to find people who look exactly like them to be the ones to follow. And what I try to tell folks a lot is that, listen, find your inspiration wherever you find it. If your grandmother is Sylvia Benton, then hitch your wagon to her and do everything exactly the way she did. Don't block your blessings, I guess, and keep yourself from finding a mentor that can show you the way that you want to live your life just because they might not look like you. No, I think that is an excellent point. So if people wanted to find out more about the 6888, the work that they did, obviously I'll put a link to the documentary, but how can they find out more about the legacy of the 6888? I am glad to say that there has been a lot more interest in my grandmother's year in the past few years. So if you go to Google, you just said 6888, the number 6888, and Postal Battalion or something of that nature, you will have something come up. As you mentioned, there is a documentary about the 6888 from Lincoln Penny Film. If you go to lincolnpennyfilm.com, you should be able to find that information there. There is a movie being done right now. It's going to uh, be on Netflix here. I think this will be premiering in 2024. But Tyler Perry is uh, put together a movie about the 6888. There's going to be a Broadway show that Blair Underwood is putting together that will also be Hollywood happening this year, not this year, the next. So there's been a groundswell of attention that's been coming to the unit. And I'm glad to see that there's more and more ways to find information about them than there were when, when I first started looking for them. I think that's excellent as well. I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes. Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, really, thank you. And again, I really want to be an advocate for 
anyone who wants to find someone to follow, to, 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 to be like, to, to grow up uh, in the shadow of. And my grandmother was that person for me. She really created a legacy for me that I spent my whole life and will continue to, to try to live up to. So thank you for allowing me the space to speak on it. And I'll be talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. I'm glad to have been able to have this conversation with Dennis and share the story of the 6888 with listeners. As we've mentioned, this story has become more widely known in the last several years. But this is the thing about history. Just because we didn't know about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Learning about the efforts of service members like the 6888 all these years later, like it's something that's just been discovered, does not diminish their efforts. We all know the stories of service members from World War II who rarely talked about their service. I know precious little about the experience of my two grandfathers who served during the conflict. But there is a big difference between not knowing the details of a particular service member's experience and not knowing the efforts of entire units, like the 6888, or being unaware of the contributions of diverse service members overall. Black and African-American men served at a significant rate during World War II, with over one million having been inducted in the military. Additionally, over 13,000 Chinese service members, over 20,000 Japanese service members, over 1,300 Hawaiians, over 44,000 American Indians, over 11,000 Filipinos, and over 51,000 Puerto Ricans were among those who served during the war. Remember, this was a different time in the military and obviously a different time in our country. Many of these inductions were a combination of those who voluntarily enlisted in the military and those who were inducted in the draft. For many today, there is a common legacy of service, regardless of nationality or gender. The other point that I like to bring back is something that Dennis said about his own perspective on recognizing the efforts of the 6888. He said, don't block your blessings and keep yourself from finding a mentor that can show you the way that you want to live your life just because they may not look like you. Both in our daily life and in our lifespan, it is often the case that we interact with and are connected to those who are similar to us. Maybe less so in the military, especially in the past 30 or 40 years. You often hear about veterans who have a diverse group of friends or those that they served with. But if our natural tendencies are to look up to or emulate those who most resemble us, then we are doing ourselves a great disservice. You don't have to be a black or Hispanic woman to be inspired by the 6888 or aspire to their level of service. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't dismiss their example for your own life because you're not represented in their story, which is Dennis's exact point. The more we learn about people who are different from us, the more we can appreciate the barriers that many had to overcome to achieve as much as, or more, than other widely known service members and units from the same era. So I hope you appreciated this conversation with Dennis. If we did, we'd appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psychomer Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psychomer course, Women Who Serve. This course is an overview of the contributions women have made to our military forces. 
This course is intended for those who want to better understand women's role in our military. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the Psychomer website at psychomer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are all committed to educating the non-military community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psycharmer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by Psycharmer. Much appreciation to the team at Psycharmer that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcript by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.